Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on GoToDobbs.com today. Time now for the Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. in the game for Ryan O'Reilly. Great performance on the dot. He's going to bring it in. Starts to glide. Weaves it in on Bobrovsky. Shoots and it's saved. And the Florida Panthers beat the Blues 2-1 in the shootout in the final tonight. It's a 4-3 Florida Panthers win. Billy Huso deserved better in that one tonight. He sure did. Billy Huso was outstanding in that game, and the Blues were leading 3-2 to two with about four minutes left and then losing the shootout. So, so far through this tough stretch of hockey, uh, which I, I consider the Florida teams a tough stretch with Tampa and Florida. I think Florida is the best team in the league, and Tampa Bay will be in there at the very end. They've gotten three points so far, and uh, we'll see how it continues this week. Danny Mac show on a Monday. Hopefully, everybody had a great weekend, and that's BK. He's getting married on Saturday, so I'm not really sure that uh, he's even paying attention hey to man, what's I'm going here. on. That's all, that's all you can ask out of me this week is that I showed up for the next two days. So you're, here, win. you're here today. That's right. You're here tomorrow. Correct. And then gone Wednesday? Gone Wednesday, and then I won't be back for a couple of weeks. Be back on the 21st will be my next show after that. Tanner, what are we going to do? There are some in our audience that are celebrating. Hey, I don't know. Right I'm, I'm trying to figure out what we're going to do for his show while he's out. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Are you hosting with uh, Alex when uh, BK is They got all kinds of plans. Married. They're about to I don't thrive. know what we're doing. Really? You're not sure? No. They're about really to spread planned. their wings, Dan. I'm the I know wing we got clipper. Curves in on Friday, or we'll be at Centene with Alex. I think Thursday we got JR and Mark Saxon coming in. So. Nice. I'm Sexy. not sure about Wednesday, though. Okay. You have any ideas of what we're going to do? I no do. idea. I oh, got some do. ideas. Oh, yeah, I got ideas. Yeah, I'm glad you I'm got always thinking idea. ahead. Don't worry about that. Good. Lots of baseball talk would be my assumption, Dan. Sure. There's just not a lot going on right now. No, so there's not. And that's why we're going to have Luke Korak on talking a little hockey. And then I wanted to get into uh, what's happening with Mizzou. And Gabe DeArmond does a great job at Power Mizzou covering the Tigers. Um, you ready for Spencer Rattler to come to town? I'm ready. I'm ready. I. Uh, well, it's interesting. They're, they're playing on the 22nd for the bowl game, which is the same night on the Bragg and Knights game. Bragg and Rights game, I should say, with uh, Mizzou and Illinois. The 22nd. Sorry, don't watch the basketball game. Tell you why that basketball team got a tough stretch coming up too. It's going to get ugly, man. Yes, go, go going to go it, going to get ugly. And by the way, these these kids are all like in the fold for next year, and the guys that they brought in, including their point guard, is not the player that they thought he was they going to be. And um, yeah, it's not pretty. Slew this weekend lost against UAB game that I thought they're going to win down the stretch. That UAB team, they're pretty good. Andy Kennedy, he's a guy that. Uh, you saw him in the SEC mm-hmm. at Ole Miss, two-time SEC coach. coach of the year. Yep, he can flat-out coach and get kids, and he's got, you know. By the way, transfers, transfers a plenty with that team, up and down their rosters. So, Slew will try to get on the right track against Belmont. Soccer team lost. By the way, did you see the, the field that they played on? Looked terrible. I didn't understand what was taking place. Like, I saw, I saw the field. 
it looked like there were certain areas where they were like, hey, let's just throw some grass there yeah. and there and there, and the rest of the field is just going to be mud. Everybody good with that? All right, cool. That's the way that we're going to make this thing work. Didn't understand Weird. that. Um, hey, Danny Mac, uh, can I get a shout-out for St. Mary's? They won the uh, state championship. Sure, 59 nothing. St. Mary's won. Good, good for them. There's your shout-out. Kevin Coleman is an absolute stud. Yes, he is. Wide receiver for St. Mary's. Um, Alabama this weekend. You know, the way that that game started, BK, against Georgia, I thought, okay, the Georgia defense, it is as good as advertised. And then Alabama dominated the rest of that game. Don't bet against Nick Saban. Don't I bet against him, man. made that mistake on Friday. Uh, oh, did you? I, I loved Georgia in this game. Absolutely I did, too. I, I, mean, I thought it'd be tight. It wasn't even close. One thing that I don't want people to do, and I saw a little bit of this over the weekend, don't overreact to this game by now saying, oh, Georgia was a fraud. No, this was a credit to Alabama, yeah. not a discredit to what Georgia is. The one, the one thing that defense had an issue with this year was the explosive plays over the top. You could get their corners if you were able to hold on to the ball long enough, block their front four, which very few teams can actually accomplish, and throw it deep to a speeding receiver that has the ability to get behind the safety. Alabama has that in St. Louis and Jameson Williams. He's awesome. He you know, he's be, had, I think, 10... I think this is right. It's either 10 or 11 touchdowns over 50 yards. He's amazing. He's yeah. legitimately one of the best players in college football. If you wanted to vote for him for the Heisman after watching what they were like yeah. last week Get without out of him, yeah. and now watching what they can do against the best defense in the country, one of the best defenses we've seen in the last decade, for for him to have that kind of an impact is unbelievable as a receiver. Dan, that that is the only team maybe in the country that could do what they just did against that Georgia defense. So full credit to Alabama. I didn't think they had it in them. That was an unbelievable performance. Pretty cool for St. Louis to see that young man doing what he's doing. And then the Michigan running back Haskins. Yeah. Out of Eureka High School. I mean, pretty cool. Did you know that random St. Louis fact for you? Jamison Williams and Luther Burden were on the same high school team back in, I think, 2008. They were both on Cardinal Ritter at the time, both playing wide receiver, both had more than a thousand yards receiving that year. Can you imagine being a kid that's going to like algebra two class that day (laughs) and you're just thinking about all night? I have to go against two of the guys that eventually Jamison Williams will be a first round draft pick probably next year. And Luther Burden is a legitimate five-star prospect that's now committed to go to the University of Missouri next year. It's it's an unbelievable amount of talent. St. Louis is full of talent over the last few years. I haven't seen the line yet on uh, Alabama, Cincinnati view. I have not. I can check that. Half, I believe is what it it was. I think that's what it was when I saw it yesterday. I thought it'd be more than that. 14 and a half. I'm going to take Alabama. 13 and a half is where it's at right now. Interesting. I think I would take Bama minus the points on that. Yeah. And then I, I don't know that Cincinnati can score with them. How about Michigan, Georgia? I like Georgia is a seven and a half point underdog. Yeah. I think I like Georgia in that game. That's a big line. I think it's going to be a little low, lower scoring. I mentioned the only way that you can beat this Georgia defense is with over the top passing. That is not the way Michigan plays normally. They had a couple of big plays on Saturday, but in general, they want to ground and pound and that is playing right into the idea identity of what this Georgia defense is. So it was a good weekend of football. It was fun. Uh, I just thought the Alabama Georgia game was when you watch that. And if you follow college football, Um, And I enjoy college football, but man, the talent on that field, it'd be interesting when you look, let's say two years from now, 
maybe three. Give it like a four-year period where you had some of the underclassmen in there. How many pros were on the field? I'd say 15 to 20. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it just the talent, man, that Alabama has every, in Georgia. Don't get me wrong, but the, every single year that this guy puts out so much talent. It's just incredible. Yeah, Georgia's entire defense, like literally all 11, I think, are expected to be drafted. At some so point, yeah. Th- that's that's one side of the ball for one of the teams. I think you might see 25, 30, maybe 40 kids that are on those rosters that eventually have an opportunity in the NFL. It's just different at that level. I mean, there's there's probably five teams in the country that are consistently at that level, maybe fewer. You might even say three when Georgia, uh, Clemson, and Alabama but it's rare to be able to recruit at the level that those teams are at right now. And I can't wait for these games. I, I do think they have the chance to be really enjoyable, but I think we are going to get a rematch. I'm, I'm with you of Bama versus Georgia in the national title game. Be fun. I'd love to see it. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about the blues before we visit with Luke Korak. Um, that's one that I, I, you know, I think if you're a blues fan, you go into it with the way things have gone with the COVID situation. You're on the road, at least the way I looked at it. And I said, Eh, you got a point out of it. You kind of stole a point because Huso I thought was awesome over the weekend. But man, when it's late like that and you have that one goal lead, that's one where I'm I'm getting greedy. I want to get the two points and get out of there. And then they lose in the shootout. But I'm going to give them credit, man, for all the COVID dis- you know situations that they've had. It's at times been disappointing to to see how they play. But right now, I'm going to take what I can get. And you know what? When you got Bennington out, you got Falk out, you got some of the better players out. Um, that's one that I go, okay, you got a point. Just take it and come home and see what happens after that. But I, I that's one I wanted to, to see that they would steal. You've had points now in four of your last five games. So it's hard to be super upset with the Blues right now. At the same time, it also feels like they left some points on the table exactly. through that stretch. I said on Friday with Alex, all I need the Blues to do right now is stay afloat. Yep, head above water somehow. COVID and injury issues that they're dealing with right now, stay afloat, stay right in the thick of things. And they've done that. So credit where it's due, they have been really good at taking advantage of their opportunities. But man, that felt like a game they should have won. Yeah, I'm with you. That's one that kind of slipped away. So we'll see if they can get it back going this week. What is the schedule this week for the Blues? They've got uh, the Panthers. Panthers on uh, tomorrow. T- tomorrow night, and then Thursday they continue to be at home. This is a nice little long road, uh, or excuse me, a homestand home stand, for yeah. them. Tuesday, Detroit Thursday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, and then yeah. Saturday they've got Montreal. And Sunday they've got the Ducks. Hmm. All right. You like those Sunday games, by the way? I like the uh, the afternoon games that they played this weekend. That was great. I did, did you guys like enjoy that? that? I did. Saturday you wake up, you're like, okay. I'll watch a little bit of NHL action yeah. right now. That was great. I think the players like it too. I think the players like the fact that they can play they like that it game. when they're in Miami. For sure. <laughs> That's what, when you look at the schedule, it's like, okay, when am I, if you're a player, if you're from one of these cities, do I get to go back home, mm. no matter where it is, and then, or wherever I live in the off season, and then when's the Florida trip? Uh-huh. Or the LA trip too. Or the Phoenix trip. That's not a bad one either. Nope. Especially in January. Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Talking a little uh, Mizzou sports right now in terms of basketball. Eh. 
match football. They're going to play too. on December 22nd as uh, their bowl bid was announced yesterday. Gabe DeArmond is uh, a great source for anybody that covers or wants to follow uh, Missouri sports and athletics. And he's from PowerMizzou.com. Hey, uh, hey, Gabe, thanks for hopping on this morning. How you doing? Not bad. What's going on, guys? Well, we're doing well here. Um, let's start with this. What did you think of the bowl announcement for Mizzou to play on the 22nd in the Armed Forces Bowl? Yeah, it's, it's a yeah. bowl game. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I understand why Missouri fans are a little bit upset because they beat Florida and South Carolina head-to-head, and those teams that are getting, quote-unquote, better bowl games, although I think you could argue the Gasparilla Bowl and the Armed Forces Bowl are probably about similar. Um but by the same token, you know, Missouri was 6-6. Six and six. Um, They had the second lowest attendance in the SEC this year, I think. I, I haven't double-checked that, but, you know, it's, it's down there. Um, they didn't do anything to make a bowl game say, oh, we, we've got to get them. Um, so it's not great. I just – I, I always want a bowl game to be like an intriguing matchup against a team I'm not going to see. And some people will argue Army is that, but – I think any time you play a non-Power 5 team, there's not much upside. I mean, if Missouri wins this game, people are going to go, eh, SEC team beat Army, okay. But if they lose this game, I mean, I've still got people, you know, that are upset about losing the Navy in 2009. So um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot to gain for Missouri. Um, selfishly, hey, if I've got to cover a game that starts at night, give me the team that's never going to throw a pass and keep the clock running like, it might be the first college football game all year to end in less than three and a half hours. So. Well, speaking of throwing passes, Gabe, who's going to be doing that for Mizzou? Um, I don't really know. Uh, Drinkwood said last night, you know, it's, it's truly an open competition. Uh, my read on that is it's between Brady Cook and Connor Bazelak. Um, part of me says, well, he played Bazelak all year, despite seeing what he looked like. I don't know why that would really change in a bowl game. But I have heard some talk that Brady Cook is, is getting more run in, in practice and, and has a good shot to start it. So I, I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, I wrote over a month ago the way he handles this quarterback thing is, is going to determine a lot about the next few years. So I, I'm interested to see what happens, not just in this game, but, you know, in the offseason with the position. Hey, Gabe, I got to give you credit. I was uh, waiting for the Luther Burden announcement. Okay, so I go to, and I think you were hosting live on, like, YouTube or wherever it was. Yeah. And you had to fill and fill and fill and fill. And I, I was like, man, this poor guy, he could die on the vine here, but he's keeping me interested. I'm telling you. So so first of all, you're to be commended uh, for the job that you did there. It was great. Um, and thanks for doing that because I, I, I wanted to see it. So as a viewer and as a interested party, um, I appreciated that. In terms of Luther Burden, what what is... What does he do to the program, and what has he done for recruiting, if anything, right now in terms of, of you know players looking at that or he himself going out and saying, hey, join me at Mizzou. We can turn this thing around. Yeah, I want to say, first of all, filling for those 20, 25 <laughs> minutes, like, I gained, a, I gained a, uh, an amount of respect for what you guys do because I thought, how the hell could anybody talk for four hours every day? Oh, like, we I'm, figured I'm out, yeah. the same things over and over, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> um, but... Uh, but as far as burden, I, I don't think there's been this groundswell in this class. Um, but he committed in you know in October, so I don't know how much there was to do out there. I, I think it certainly will raise eyebrows around St. Louis, around the state of Missouri. And if he comes here and does what 
what most people think he will do. I, I think it, it elevates the program and has an impact going forward. You know, um, recruiting is, is largely PR, and it's obviously great PR for Missouri's program. Now that is going to have to turn into, obviously, the results on the field. I mean, you know, the last, and I hate to, to bring this up, because Luther is one of the best high school players I've ever seen in person, and I think he's going to have a heck of a career here. I, I think the comps to Jeremy Maplin are fair. Um, it's a similar type game and all that. But, you know, Missouri fans are a little bit scarred because the last couple times they've gotten guys rated this highly, not only has it not turned into quite what they hoped on the field, it, it hasn't really had the effect they would hope it would on the program going forward. So, you know, it, it's great in the moment, and then next year will be, the next couple of years really, will be big as far as does this springboard Eli Drinkwitz in Missouri to something else. When it, it, Well, I, I find this interesting, and I, I think there are probably some people that watched over the weekend and you see the kid from St. Louis lighting it up for Alabama. And then you got the yeah. tailback in Michigan from Eureka High School. Was Mizzou even close to some of these kids? And, and I guess the question is, how did they get away? Yeah, with Jamison Williams, they had no chance out of high school. I mean, I remember talking to Jamison at a, at a seven-on-seven camp in Columbia, and I just walked away saying, well, I don't really need to follow his recruitment because he's not coming to Missouri. When he left Ohio State, there was definitely some thought that Missouri was in good shape. And then what happened a lot of times happened, and that is Nick Saban came in and offered him, and, hey, it, it's kind of hard to argue with the kid's choice, right? I mean, I've, I've said I, I submitted my Heisman ballot before uh, the championship games, and I, I don't know why I did that. I usually don't, but if I – uh, if I'd submitted it afterwards, Jamison Williams would have been on my ballot. It, maybe not number one, but he'd have been on my ballot. Hassan uh, Haskins, I mean, Missouri didn't offer him out of high school. And and retroactively, a bunch of people are saying, well, see, that's why Barry Odom was dumb. I mean, really hardly anybody did. Michigan, and there might have been one other Power 5 program who offered him. And uh, credit to the kid, he's become a great running back, but it was not you know, that's like the hindsight of, well, my team didn't draft Tom Brady. I mean, neither did literally every other team. So, you know, that that is is not quite a miss in the same regards that Jamison Williams did. And they got Tyler Beatty in the same recruiting class. So they did all right, all things considered right. in they that one. They had Demario Crockett and they had Larry Roundtree. And I don't know that Hassan Haskins changes this Missouri season. Yeah. Jamison Williams most certainly does. Yeah, I mean, Mizzou's done pretty well at the running back position. If you want to get upset with their receiver recruiting over the last few years, yeah, that that I can listen to. Uh, Gabe, what, what's going to happen with Tyler Beatty in this game, by the way? Do you expect him to play? He, he said he's playing after uh, the Arkansas game. Eli Drinkwood said he talked to him yesterday, and he expects Tyler to play. And like, I, Tyler strikes me as the kind of kid who wants to play. And he, I know a lot of people say that, and it doesn't really mean anything. I don't know Tyler Beatty well enough to probably say that. But, you know, this is not like a top ten pick we're talking about. This is not a first-round pick we're talking about. And I understand he could go out and get hurt, but in the end, I mean, Tyler Beatty's probably like a third or fourth-round pick. And so he's a guy, does he have anything to prove? No, but I don't really know how much he has to lose either. He has he has one more game to play. You know, he's only been the feature back for, for 12 games in his college career and, and going out and tapping it off the right way would, would probably mean something to him. And, it, you know, the 
so is the goal for all these kids. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like this is a, a kid who's going, okay, look, I'm going to be in an NFL camp as the in, with the inside track to winning a starting job next year. I mean, there's something to be said for we don't know what Tyler Beatty's NFL career is going to be. And if he can go out and run for a couple hundred yards in a bowl game and say, hey, I had the most yards from scrimmage of anybody that ever played at Missouri, then, like, that's something to take with him no matter how the NFL goes. How about basketball, Gabe? How, how far yeah. down right now is Conjo Martin's program? Well, the net rankings came out, and that's what the uh, NCAA uses for, like, tournament selection and stuff. It's basically they getting in? RPI. Uh, they came out today. Um, there are 358 Division One teams. Missouri is 278, which is the lowest Power 5 team in the country by, uh, I think, like, 12 spots. Thank you, Oregon State, for making it competitive. Um, the lowest in the SEC by 70 spots. Um, and they go to Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday. So, uh, BK, I might change that RSVP and might just come hang out rather than uh, than having to watch that game. I was about to say, I don't know how much you're going to have to write about, man. You might be able to get out of there by like 8 o'clock. You could come over for some drinks afterwards at the very least. Yeah, no, I get it. but And I understand why Missouri fans are, are not excited about this game. And look, it's probably... I, I said on, on radio in Kansas City last week, we're going to find out how petty Bill Self is because he really probably could win this game by 40 or 45 if he wanted to. But like, there's still something about this game being played and, and being able to be in Allen Fieldhouse for it. To me and to people you know who grew up when I did and, and know what this thing was one time, it's not going to be that on Saturday, but it's still pretty cool that, that they're playing it, I think. Gabe DeArmond of PowerMizzou.com is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Gabe, I guess a bigger picture question, though, on the basketball team. How did this happen? Like, I, I know that there were a lot of people that were down on the team coming into the year. I don't know anybody that expected this, though. How did it go so poorly so quickly for this group? Well, yeah, I, I picked them, I think, three games below 500 before the start of the season. So I didn't think they were going to be good, but I didn't think they were going to be this. Uh the answer is real simple, and it's recruiting. I, I mean, I, I wrote something two or three weeks ago. I ran through his recruiting classes since the, the Porter and Tillman and Cassius Robertson class. And, I mean, there were five guys that legitimately, the day they committed, I, I and a lot of other people said, hang on, I don't get this. What, what do they see here? This isn't, this isn't a guy that that probably should be committing to an SEC school at this point in time. And the, the rule at a high major conference school in basketball should be that you are signing kids ranked in the top one city. There are 66 schools that, that play in those conferences. So math tells you that most of those kids are going to the big schools. You should probably average between one and three of those kids per year. Missouri only signed three in a four-year period, and um, I, at least two of them aren't on the team anymore. Maybe all three of them aren't on the team anymore. I, I think all three of them aren't. That was Trey Jackson and uh, Mario McKinney and then uh, Torrance Watson. And so none of the three of them are here anymore. They have one top 150 player on their roster, um, and, you know, Conzo, like, this was the roster he wanted. His high school class last year was – it, it, like, it was solid if you had a bunch of other talent to put around it. But 
but he really didn't. And he went and got a bunch of transfers from mid-majors. And, and the upside for this was, hey, maybe they'll all turn into Cassius Robertson and Drew Smith. Well, so far, none of them have. Now, the disappointing side to me is these are guys who played pretty well against mid-major competition last year and now aren't even doing that. Um, you know, I mean, this team doesn't have a point guard and it doesn't have a big man. I mean, if you legitimately went through and said, okay, who's their best player at this position? The answer at four out of the five positions would be Kobe Brown. And um, I don't know if you guys understand how physics works, but Kobe cannot play all four of those positions. <laughs> He's tried. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I well, am. So it's all recruiting. I mean, it, it usually is. I think it's 85 to 90% of the job in college basketball and, Congos just hasn't been good enough. Um, and now, it, really, the only question now is, we're going to find out, was it so bad that it cost him his job after one bad year? Because I didn't think that was really possible a month ago, but I think it's possible now. Well, you, you lead me into my next question. And full disclosure, I'm a big fan of Conzo of Martin. I, I used to do his games when he was at Missouri State, and he's just a good dude. He's been through a lot in his life, and uh, yeah, I respect him a lot, but this is a results-driven business, and I just wonder about it, especially, Gabe, I think the, the buyout would be around $6 million. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're right. It would be $6 million, and it, the contract is a little confusing. Technically, they cannot fire him until May 1st. Now, what people have to understand, that does not preclude an agreement. Like Mark Turgeon last week, step down, right? I don't know if he stepped down or was fired. I don't know enough about Maryland basketball, and frankly, I don't care. But coaching situations these days are always termed step down by mutual agreement, right? Nobody ever gets fired. I mean, Barry Odom technically didn't get fired at Missouri. Hell, you go back years and years, Quinn Snyder technically didn't get fired at Missouri. Um, he agreed to, to step down. So, I mean, today, if, if they wanted to Missouri and Conzo Martin could work out a deal where he said, I'll walk away, give me my money, Uh, it'll be termed a resignation, whatever, mutual agreement. So that's not, you know, out of the question. Um, Does Missouri have that $6 million? I I have to believe they could find it. I mean, I went through a nice little two-week utopia uh, during COVID where I said, Hey, maybe this is going to reset college sports, right? Maybe, maybe <laughs> people are going to come to their senses. And, and now Mel Tucker makes nine and a half million dollars a year. So right. that's dumb. College sports are really important to people. And those people tend to have a lot of money. And if Missouri wants to move on from Conzo Martin, they'll find the $6 million. somewhere. Hey Gabe, thanks for hopping on, man. Really appreciate it. You, you run a great site with all that uh, information that you provide so many fans. So thanks for doing this and happy holidays to you. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, BK, keep your phone on you Saturday. I'll text you some updates. <laughs> thanks, man. Appreciate you. That's Gabe right, Arman of uh, PowerMizzou.com. Can't get enough cards talk? You've come to the right place. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Blues fall in a shootout over the weekend and back at it uh, tomorrow at Enterprise Center. We welcome in Lou Korak, a Blues insider, covers the team day in and day out. Good morning, Lou, and happy holidays. How you doing? Hey, happy holidays, Dan. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, hopping on. Um, just your initial impression of what you thought from the game over the weekend. Um, I don't know. You can look at it a couple different ways. Um, <clears throat> you can definitely say that, you know, 
when you look at just stats alone, if you didn't watch the game, you're thinking, wow, you're feeling pretty fortunate to come out of that with a point. But um, when you see games come down to the end like that and you're that late in the game and, you know, your your goalie is basically stealing you a game. I mean, Billy Huso was fantastic in that hockey game the other day. You'd like to see it closed out. You've had a few of those now where you're like, boy, you'd like to just see this team be able to close games out and pick up that extra point. But, you know, all things considered, you've got three guys out with injuries, three guys, prominent players, too, that are on the COVID list. Uh, you gotta, you got to feel for this team right now that somehow that they're plodding along. They're, they're getting a point here and there. Getting Got two points last week against Tampa. Um, you know, so you can look at it from both ends. But, you know, all in all, I, I don't think you can be completely disappointed in it. A little bit, though, just because you weren't able to close it out, though. I think the biggest disappointment for me right now, Lou, is just what they're getting from some of their key contributors. Vladimir Tarasenko, no goals in his last 10 games. Braden Shin, I, I know he's he's dealing with some stuff, so it's hard to be super critical, but he has zero points since his return, and he has 10 shots on goal in his last eight games. Uh, and then you look at what Colton Pareko has been, and he's a minus 11 in the last 14 games when he's been on the ice. How do they get more out of those three players in particular? Well, just it's simple. They just need to play better. I mean, these are these are better hockey players. Uh, and like you said, I'm you know, I'm not looking at Shen as much because it's pretty obvious, you know, that he's still dealing with that upper body ailment that's you know that sidelined him for nine games and even admitted it himself. You know, he wasn't going to tell us what it was and. Uh, but, you know, these are professional athletes, and uh, by his own admission, uh, he had mentioned, you know, himself and, you know, Ryan O'Reilly is a couple guys that if this team's going to be going, they've got to produce more. And these are two of the leaders in the locker room. And uh, as far as Tarasenko is concerned, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, no goals in 10 games now for him. He's got five assists, which is okay. But you look at it, those five assists have come in two games. So you've got two points out of your last 10 games. Not good enough for me uh, as one of your top players on the team. I need more from him if I'm Craig Berube. And it's pretty evident the other day. I mean, he didn't even have a shot on goal. And, um, you know, it's pretty telling to me when uh, a guy like Logan Brown steps his game up and Craig Berube rewards him with a shootout attempt. And uh, he looked pretty good doing it, too. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Colton Pareko, uh, I can't. I can't put a finger on what's going on with him right now. I, I can just definitely tell you he's a, a better hockey player than what we've seen. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, you, you, you expect and, and see so much out of these guys when they're playing at peak level, you think they're going to stay at that level for so long. I mean, I've, I've described Pareko on a number of times as a guy that can skate with the puck out of a phone booth. You know, that's just how good he is. But for one reason or another, right now, it just doesn't seem like the decision-making is on par. Once he gets on par with uh, making correct decisions with the puck, and I'm sure he's going to do it again. He's, he's that good, and he can be that good. He'll get back on the level that we've seen him at in the past. But um, you're right. It's, it is a little concerning to me that it's stretched this far, and I'm not a big guy on the plus-minus. I think sometimes that's a stat that can be – a little bit deceiving, but there are other times when it's it's directly on you. And uh, I, I think in this case, uh, a lot of the plus minus that's gone on with him uh, is a reflection on uh, the inconsistency with his game. I'm intrigued with Logan Brown, and maybe it's because uh, it's Jeff Brown's son. 
but, you know, when I'm watching him, first of all, this is a big man. This is a big kid out there. And he was a high draft choice, as you all know. And now maybe he's finding his game here in St. Louis. Would you agree with that? I think so. In the small sample size that we've seen here. And, uh, you know, let, 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 let's see if he's able to sustain this. And I know during training camp, uh, Craig Berube, you know, he didn't hold back any words. He said, this is a kid that's got to go down and he's got to find his confidence. That's, that's pretty telling when you're talking about a young kid like that. You don't want to, you don't want to bring him down any more than he already is. And I can, I can see from a Logan Brown perspective. I mean, you just came from an organization in Ottawa that just hasn't had a lot of success. And when you're a high draft pick like that, Dan, you there, there's a lot more placed on your shoulders than what may be expected out of your average ordinary. I, I, maybe maybe those aren't the right words to use, but a second-round pick, a third-round pick, somebody in the later rounds, and your first-round pick, especially one that was number 11 in that draft class, and you see some of the other St. Louis kids, the way they've uh, thrived so far in the league, it's a little bit more pressure on your shoulders. And for whatever reason or not, and I can't speak for what happened to Logan Brown in Ottawa, it just didn't work out for him there. And yeah, you almost have to recalibrate and reset yourself. And, you know, he gets a new lease on life and comes here. And, but I mean, you bring some of that baggage that you had in Ottawa and it, it just doesn't transform overnight. And I think he took the right attitude. He went down to Springfield. He had 17 points, uh, in 19 games and came back up here and uh, you could see that he's got a new lease on life. And uh, I'm interested myself to see him use that big body of his and to continue to see him improve in his game. Lou Quark is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Uh, Lou, I wanted to ask you about the final sequence in overtime that we saw on Saturday. It was one of the more unbelievable things I've ever seen watching hockey when Robert Bortuzzo, without a stick for more than a minute on the penalty kill, was just going down and up and down and up, trying to block any shot that was about to come his way. Can you put in perspective to us? You've watched a heck of a lot of hockey over the years, Lou. Uh, yeah. explain to us how that happened and where it ranks in terms of just the more improbable and impressive plays that you've seen. BK, I don't think you can really explain it. You're right. It's, it's one of the more crazier sequences that I've ever seen. I, I, I still, I sit here right now and I have no idea how Florida didn't score on that. I mean, you're literally talking about defending a four on three is tough enough in itself. But that's basically uh, four on two and a half, if you want to say, a four, a, four, a four on two, which is crazy to think that they didn't even get a shot on goal, if you can believe that. I mean, that that's just a great job that Bortuzzo, O'Reilly, and Sunquist did in that situation. And, yeah, I, I, I watched that sequence over and over again, and, and I kept coming up with the number 13, 13 times that Robert Bortuzzo up and down and up and down, just doing everything he can to – take away a passing lane, take away a shot. And I, I don't know how he does it because when you guys, when you got these guys, some of these guys are ripping 90 and a hundred mile howitzers coming at you. And for you to just sacrifice your body and your face to just get hit with these pucks is, 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 is almost insane to think about it. And he does it over and over again, but you could just see that his actions really prevented Florida from getting any pucks on the net. And, it was just fascinating to see and, you know, gave them a chance in the shootout. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get that second point. But I'm, I'm going to think that there's going to be coaches around the league that are going to be showing that video to their players over and over again 
just as a prime example of what it takes to sacrifice and to uh, put put yourself on the line on a penalty kill. I mean, it, it was as good as you can get. Lou, my final question is, uh, the Blues have been hit with COVID. That's obvious, but so is a lot of the league. Is there a theory as to why we're seeing so much of that in the NHL? That's a good question. Um, you know, obviously the majority of the players, most all of them are vaccinated. Um, it's going to happen. Um, I think what you're seeing is, is, you know, maybe some of the restrictions, you know, have been loosened and guys are doing more and getting themselves out more. And um, I would, I don't know how this one happened, but I think just a perfect example, you know, like a guy like a Tyler Bozak, he's a family man. He's got three kids and a wife and you never know. It's one of those situations where one of the kids brings it home from school. Now it can, now it gets to dad and dad's got it in the locker room. And next thing you know, it, it, it just kind of moves about. And you saw it with the Islanders. I mean, they're, they're still, they're still trying to rebound from their situation. I mean, they've lost, they lost their 11 straight game last night. So you hope this is a situation with the blues where it doesn't get any worse than it is. I mean, they had a spell there where they, you know, lost three or four players and maybe they thought that they were over it and over that hump. And here you go. You've got another three guys that are out now. I believe that's eight or nine total so far that they've dealt with, uh, not at one time, but, um, it's tough. I mean, these guys are, these guys are trying to live a normal life. We're all trying to live normal lives. And, uh, it just doesn't, it's, it's a little more magnified for them. So, um, three key guys right now that are out for the blues. You hope that they're back pretty soon and you hope they're able to, kind of uh, get through the stretch and uh, once they get everybody back, uh, get themselves going again. But uh, all in all, you got to commend what they're doing, uh, just plodding along and being able to stay above water. Hey, Lou, thanks for hopping on. Appreciate it. Love your work. And uh, we'll catch up before Christmas, I'm sure. All right, boys. Thanks for having me. You got it. That's uh, one of the Blues insiders, and that's Lou Korak. Um, switching gears here, not a lot of baseball news, but I was thrilled Last night when I saw that uh, the National Baseball Hall of Fame uh, will induct uh, Buck O'Neill into Cooperstown, Gil Hodges, Jim Cott, Minnie Minoso, Tony Oliva. That's the Golden Days era committee. Two stand out for me. Um, one being the great Buck O'Neill, who is just remarkable with Bob Kendrick and what they've done for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City. And Buck never, ever. I mean, and he could have been bitter, could have been mad. He passed away at the age of 94, which is something I don't like. I I want to see these guys be inducted when they're alive yeah. and can take it in and enjoy it like Ron Sano. Same thing. Didn't have that opportunity. But uh, has done so much for baseball and what it means for the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and those players. It's wonderful. And the other guy, um, right before the shutdown, I had dinner with Jim Cott and, uh, and Tim McCarver. And another guy that really isn't bitter, but had every reason to be bitter as to why he wasn't in the Hall of Fame. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, a ton of gold gloves, nearly 300 wins, played for well over two decades, was a member of the 82 World Championship team here in St. Louis with the Cardinals, and that's Jim Cott. And he's also, by the way, a fabulous broadcaster and still sharp as a tack. I think he's either 82 or 83 now, BK, and he shoots his age from both sides playing golf right and left-handed. I mean, a fabulous athlete, and uh, so I'm, I'm just thrilled for Jim Cott to see him get in. It was it, Those two guys especially, just way long overdue. Yeah, just to take a second on Buck O'Neill, um, his efforts with the Negro League Baseball Museum to continue to keep those stories in the public sphere, 
that in and of itself, if he had never played baseball, was never a scout, never did anything involved with the sport otherwise, that in and of itself is worthy of going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. His tie-in, too, by the way, with St. Louis, Lou Brock. That was Lou Brock's guy. Yep. So you're from Kansas City. I've been multiple times to the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. Um, and, and the Cardinals will play there in interleague play. And I say, when you're there in that weekend or whatever it is, usually it's a weekend and I haven't looked at the upcoming schedule, but take the time, take your kids and go there because it's a learning experience. And as they always talk about, it wasn't, it's not all about baseball. It was about what was happening in our country to explain what was going on and why there was segregation and why there was so much racism and why this was happening. Um, and it's very, very important for that story to live on so that people understand and that we don't have history repeat itself in that regard. Yeah, he's uh, he's an incredible man and an, an unbelievable storyteller. Um, it it does make me very sad that he was not able to be around to see this day. But thought of Bob Kendrick uh, a lot last yeah. night. You know, for Bob, you know, that's his passion, his love, his life's work is is doing that. He runs the museum and was very, very close to Buck. If you ever MLB uh, Network Radio, they, they tweet out videos yeah. that Bob Kendrick does. He does like a, a weekend show for them at times. And he'll just tell stories, share stories from uh, some of the Negro Leagues. And the the way that he is able to keep you captivated while telling the stories that he's telling is amazing. I love it when you guys have him on the Bally Sports Midwest yeah. broadcast. He's unbelievable. You could just literally say a name from from the Negro League. Yeah. And he will go off on a four minute story that has a beautiful beginning, a wonderful middle. There's some sort of punchline at some point in the middle. And then at the end, he tells you about why that man mattered. Right. Um, and what his legacy ultimately is. It's it's really it's far. It's incredibly worth any time that you can spend there. Try to give yourself a couple hours at a minimum to go out there. But. Uh, the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum is one of the the shining beacons that we have. You have Alex coming up, three hours coming up as uh, we continue on on a Monday here on 101. What do you have? Yeah, so we open up with a little bit more Blues conversation. The Blues owed Ville Husso better than that on Saturday. He, he deserves to get a win. He was great in that one, so we'll talk about that to open things up. I want to give our thoughts on the Robert Bortuzzo play. It's one of the most unbelievable sports feats I think I have ever seen. It was amazing, and... W- his ability to find a way to still come up with the hit at the end of the PK, it was amazing. So we'll dive into that coming up here in just a little bit. Plenty of NFL, college football, Cardinals, a little bit of everything today from 11 to 2. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you. 